Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to a Rough Trade Radio special with David Keenan. Anyone who's been in the shop over the past few days would have seen that David's book, This Is Memorial Device, is our book of the month for February. And if you buy the book from any Rough Trade store, it comes with a special edition fanzine called Go Ahead and Drop the Bomb, which includes a three-track CD. Um, it's had loads of great reviews, and Irvin Welsh describes it as brilliant stuff. It captures the terrific, obsessive, ludicrous pomposity of every music fan's youth in an utterly de- definitive way. So, David, welcome. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. Um, before I ask you some questions, do you want to give us a brief description of the book? Yes, um, it's set between the years 78 and 1986, roughly in Airdrie and Environs, which is a small town on the west coast of Scotland, just outside Glasgow. And it's set in the years of post-punk. It's a series of uh, first-person narratives um, that are recorded, some of them close to the actual time, some of them a, a, a long time after the events in the book. And they're all remembering this period of time that they went through when they were inspired by music and art and where it seemed possible to transform the sort of workaday reality of a small little dismal town into something that was potentially uh, magical and the central uh, band is a band called Memorial Device and all the characters sort of move in and out around the story of this band this mythic Eardry band Okay, cool. And can you tell us how the book deal came about with Favour initially? Well, that was quite. That was quite. I mean, I've, I've come to realise just how weird that is because I didn't know anything about uh, the literary world or publishing, so I didn't really know how to go about how to go about getting a book published. I mean, I was writing fiction for ten years. And I wrote one book after the other without submitting them anywhere. One because I didn't really know how to do it, you know. So, but you have had some books out before. Yes, but you? never, never a novel, never right. fiction. Yeah, okay. I've published, I've published like non-fiction. I had a book, *England's Head in Reverse*, about coil, currently in three nursery wound, and in Robin Gristle and industrial culture. But there was no real connection with the literary world, and I didn't know anyone who who worked in that. So I just kept writing these books again and again, and never submitting. Um, and then. One day I got a contact for an editor called uh, Lee Braxton, who's at Faber, and he was actually an editor I'd heard of because he worked with people I knew like Joanne Cope and uh, Kim Gordon. So this was the first contact I ever had with anyone in publishing world. And by a coincidence, I had just finished editing This Is Memorial Device, so I thought, well... That's telling me I should probably submit it. So it was a crazy story. I I, I private messaged Lee and said, uh, you know, I finished a book. Would you like to read it? He said, sure. Send me a couple of chapters. And he said, I'll get back to you really quickly, which I think meant was I'll get back to you really quickly and tell your book's hopeless and, you know, don't bother us again kind of thing. Yeah. But he did get back very quickly and he just said, I like it. Send me the entire book. This was on a Friday. And on the Monday morning, he mailed me and said, can you give me your phone number? And that afternoon, he made me an offer for Worldwide Rights. It was as crazy and as fast as that. But he um, he knew of you from a different way, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because in my capacity as a, as a, a, a music a journalist, I had reviewed a book on Faber that he edited. He was the editor on, and I gave a fairly... A fairly unfavourable review, let's put it that way. So I think his first thought was, who is this cheeky bastard trying to get his book published by me? You know what I mean? But you know, that's a great way to start out a relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He obviously really likes the book then. I guess so. <laughs> Even the fact that I was a total bastard doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so last night was the Faber Spring launch party um, where lots of authors and literary types are all in one room finding out about the forthcoming titles um, for the first half of the year. 
So I made the most of this opportunity to try and get some questions from the people who were there and listen to you read. Oh, no. Um, so first up, uh-huh. um, actually, yeah, your literary agent, Imogen Pelham, mm-hmm. she wants to know where it all started. Where it all started? It all started, I guess, it all started for me with libraries. Libraries, I was so passionate about libraries and I still have a big thing for libraries and I think that um, there's a lot of good libraries in the east end of Glasgow when I was growing up and me and my mum, we would join like five or six libraries and then we would drive around different libraries like to take out different books and that's when I really became passionate about uh, reading and writing and early on I would start writing... I did my own comic strips when I was a kid. And then, but the whole thing that really got me going was when I discovered underground music, particularly though when I discovered fanzine culture, because it brought in everything that I liked. Previously, I was really into things like science fiction, and I would get science fiction fanzines, which were all always quite cool. And then I realised there was a version of that in underground music. You could get fanzines. So I was attracted most of all, not even so much to the music, but the writing and the presentation, you know, and the, the DIY aspect, the, real, the, I, the sudden realisation that you could publish yourself. Because I was a real book reader, but it never occurred to me that you could publish yourself. Yeah. You know, I thought, oh, somebody else had to do that for you. So when I began discovering underground music and particularly the world, the world of the DIY fanzine, that was me set for life and that was the combination I've always loved. So have you still got some of those comics that you created? I do have, I do have some, yeah. Uh-huh. I'd like to see them. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I might do something with them one day. <laughs> um, so also, Andrew Hagen was there last night. The legend, genius, yep. novelist, Great. well-dressed Scotsman. Yeah, he was looking really handsome. Very, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> whose book, The Secret Life, is coming out on favour in June this year. Mm-hmm. And he says this of um, uh, about uh, Memorial Device. He couldn't really like anybody who doesn't love this book. It's the sound of young Scotland distilled forever. That's uh, pretty, some, pretty he knows, good. He knows how to give quote. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so his question to you is, when Postcard Records started, they had a banner on their logo saying they were the sound of young Scotland. Can you tell us what the sound of young, Sco- young Scotland is now? The sound of young... Sc- I think the sound of young Scotland is essentially something that you're never really going to get to because the sound of young Scotland is the sound of Scotland that never escapes from its small town. The sound of young Scotland is an idea in someone's head that might never even make it to a cassette. The sound of young Scotland is very mysterious. Um, the sound of young Scotland is a little hysterical as okay. well, I would say. But the, my whole thing with... with uh, it's a good point, but my whole thing with the book was in order to tell the true story of post-punk, to me the true story of post-punk is the repercussions uh, post-punk had in the culture at large and the repercussions were all these people in very small towns transforming their lives. Now, just because there was no end product that came out of that, like they didn't release a seven inch or even get a cassette out, but there was something in the, the sense of permission that post-punk gave that the real story would be an oral history of people that never made it or even got a band together long enough to put out a release. So with this is Memorial Device, it was an attempt to tell the real story of post-punk, which is what happened on the absolute fringes, on the tiny villages, which it could never really be documented. Because to me, post-punk is as important as sort of a uprising and it's important to be documented just in the same way that Alan Lomax recorded folk songs. I think it's it's, it's part of a, it's a folk culture. It's mm-hmm. a DIY culture. And it was so regionally specific as well. So with this book, I definitely set out to sort of map what uh, the real story of post-punk, which is what happened off the map. 
Yeah. On subject of uh, the sound of Young Scotland, yeah, I loved a lot of uh, what was happening around Postcard. I loved the whole aesthetic. But my favourite group were probably Joseph K. And I think a track, Chance Meeting, is an absolutely phenomenal track. It has that Young Scotland feel, but it has that sort of uh, uh, angular, exp- uh, experimental sort of side as well. So it sums up the two things in Scotland. Because Scotland has always had a very sort of melodic pop thing, but also a very skewed, quite uh, radical, experimental rock scene. And I think Joseph K. occupy both those camps beautifully. We enchance me in is such a great track. next matt haslam mm-hmm. faber's marketing guru mm-hmm. <laughs> um he wants to know if there is the capacity to take something like this is memorial device and replicate it and turn it into a series of books 
Oh, it, it, it has been done. I have other Airdrie books that do slot in. Some of the books I have... Yeah, I've got an Airdrie series. So there's like three Airdrie books that I've written. And yes, the, the, the books don't sort of follow on to each other so much as intersect. For instance, Memorial Device turn up in one sentence in one of the other Airdrie books. And there's another Airdrie book which focuses more on the... There's a section in there where I talk where Vanity, who's in a group called Glass Sarcophagus, she's also a porn star. So there's, there's another book that I've got called Revolutionary Suicide, which is all about the guerrilla film scene in Airdrie that was happening at the same time, and it crosses over into the porn scene. There's a guy called Rod Stilvert who puts out a lot of Vanity's uh, movies in this book. It focuses more on Rod Stilvert, and not just the... Um, the porn scene, but the making of like weird, low-budget guerrilla movies round about Airdrie in the seventies and Airdrie. So it's another hallucinated history. Okay. But this time, more focusing on like underground guerrilla filmmakers. So is that the next book then? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Not yet. Not, not yet. Well, it will, yeah, it will come out at some point, but I don't want to do another Airdrie book straight after this. Okay. Quite, you know. All right. Um, we'll go. We'll get back to Vanity shortly, yeah, great. but. Um, We've mentioned him already, the artist formerly known as Lee Braxtone, mm-hmm. your editor. Mm-hmm. He wants to know, if the novel was set in England, which town would it be set in? Yeah, Blackpool. Blackpool? Maybe. Yeah, because Blackpool really appeals to me, and Blackpool has this great um, connection. Or Corby. Corby's another one, okay. which is where uh, Bill Drummond was from, which is um, that's like a weird Scottish outpost in England, and there's a Corby accent, which is very distinct, and Corby has its own strange culture. But Blackpool's the same, and Blackpool has a big connection with Scotland. I mean, my gran would go on holidays to Blackpool every year, you know? And it's always been weird, seedy, run down, but with a lot of eccentric, strange characters, and a lot of stuff going on beneath the surface. Mm. I think Blackpool is a fascinating place, and yeah, I could certainly see how you could transpose these kind of ideas to Blackpool. It would be a whole different hallucination, but it would probably yeah. be equally as interesting okay um so cozy fanny tutti was there last night reading Mm -hmm. from her art sex music book which is out on thursday the 6th of april fantastic bit of of a plug there it's a great book um and she's got an event here too on wednesday the 5th of april the night before great um and we still have some wristbands available if anyone wants to attend and we'll also have some of the super limited edition version of her book available on the night too Mm, that looks beautiful um so cozy had given a quote for the book and she said I've never read a book quite like this it hits all the reflex points one after another in quick succession David's book is such a rich fun honest tender and rare gift everyone should read it so she wants to know she says um, that she can identify herself with others in the characters and very similar situations how much of yourself is there from personal and or observational experience some, some. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated story. Uh, it's hard to, like, uh, disentangle what's me and what's not in a way. And I think any writer would say that there's a lot of autobiography in any book. You can't help that. But at the same time, it's, it's called a hallucinated oral history because it is essentially all made up. But, yeah, I mean, I was around... I've been around a lot of musicians and a lot of crazy extreme people over the years, and I have built up a, a, a trove of insane stories I've seen in crazy behaviour and so I, I did draw on that but my whole thing with the book was 
because it's hallucinated. It's, it's about a generation that was just slightly older than me. So like 70, 80, 86, I was starting to get into music, but I wasn't really old enough to be going to gigs and hanging out with all the cooler older guys. So I would see these guys in Airdrie, you know, looking, you know, looking totally disheveled, you know, smoking a joint in the Dora John Menzies we wearing a ripped T-shirt. And I would imagine what their lives were like. I would say, oh my God, they must be going home and like jamming music and hanging out and reading really subversive literature. So I imagined what all these people's lives might be like. So for me, it was a fantasy. It was a fantasy of the possibilities I saw in Airdrie when I saw these weird older characters. I really admired them. I looked at them as they went past and I was like, there goes the future, you know? <laughs> um. Okay. And Heather Lee, your wife and mm-hmm. muse, mm-hmm. Uh, wants to know who your favourite female in the book is. Oh, I mean, there's so many. The female characters are my favourite characters in the book, but I have to say that the secret hero of this is Moral Device is Mary Hannah. Okay. Mary Hannah, who, who eventually plays a bass for Moral Device in a later in a later incarnation, and also who is an artist in secret. And you only encounter Mary Hannah through other people's tellings yeah. of, of interactions really, with them. She, she doesn't have a chapter. She in the doesn't book, have does a she? chapter. No, but she's a secret history. She's always she's a secret hero. She's always kind of there in the background. And of course, she's one of the purest artists because you know at one point Memorial Device kind of it seems that they're getting offered a deal by a London label, which is seems like a major an independent funded by a major like this kind of thing, mm. and they go down. And they're all kind of disillusioned, you know, they, they have a really bad time and nothing really ever happened, it goes any further. And there's a lot of thing in the book about what reasons do you make art and what's a pure way to make art. And what Mary Hannah does is, Mary Hannah never does even what Memorial Device do, like tries to get any kind of mainstream acceptance or even publicise her own art. Most of her art seems to be done in secret. People talk about how she goes in and orders a bag of cement and then she walks out and in the fields around the Airdrie and she makes these strange megalithic structures which she never tells anyone about. You know, occasionally some people in the book mention going driving out to see them or something. But she was such a pure artist. She was an artist in secret and she's the secret hero of the book and she's a secret presence throughout. And sometimes you'll just hear a little story about her here and there. But I'm, I am totally in love with her. And Memorial Device were the best when they had Mary Hannah on bass, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so you know, I think your wife said that um, Vanity was her favourite. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to see. I, I love Vanity. I absolutely love Vanity. And Vanity, when Co- you said Cozy mentioned that she could see herself, yeah. definitely there's a little bit of uh, Cozy and Vanity, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, okay, so next question. Um, so Rachel, Claire and Gail from London Review Bookshop uh, gave me some questions right, as well. well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel would like to know, um, would you care to estimate percentage-wise how much is memory and how much is fiction? And then she said, in fact, I want it as a cocktail recipe. Um, okay, so I would say you've got to put, as a cocktail, so I'd put a base of like, You've got you've got to have quite a strong uh, framework. So, in the cocktail, the index at the end is kind of like there's no characters. A big long index at the end, which I had a lot of fun playing with the idea of an index and making it up and putting like uh, wild and strange uh, entries in there. And the purpose of the the index at the back is that's the territory that maps the territory that the characters. Uh, move around in and some of that's the actual factual stuff so it's very grounded in the specifics of your there's loads of street names and shop names they're all correct so for a cocktail we'll throw in like I think that's a 40% sort of a completely geographically specific reality so we throw that in on the, on the as a base then we have a hallucinant then we have something like we'll put in some uh, some absinthe because we're gonna need like a, we're gonna have a, a gentle a gentle hallucination. So the absinthe part of it, which is the gentle hallucination, which is the which is the sort of more surreal fiction side of it, um, 
I think we're talking another. Well, what percentage of the say are we on now? Forty percent. So forty. So we'll throw in another fifty uh, percent of 50? absinthe. Quite oh, a really? lot of absinthe. Yeah, okay. quite a lot of hallucinatory uh, concoctions. This sounds quite a dangerous cocktail. It's going to get you uh, messed up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. And then, so what have I got? So I've got the facts. I've got the hallucination, and then I've got the slight twisting. Which is when you're into the slight. This is a little twist. This is where you get the. You, you so this is like the garnish. Yeah, it's like when it's you like only, the umbrella. Yeah, or or where it's like you no, know, it's more like when you take a pure to an orange and you do yeah, one of those yeah. wee curly shapes. Yeah, yeah, And you yeah. drop it on the top. <laughs> the wee curly shape is the little. That's the little wavering between uh, reality and hallucination. Okay. So that is it's a it's a deadly cocktail. So that's the ten percent. That's the ten percent. Okay, sounds good. What so what what is the base for the if we if we're going down the alcohol route what is the base for the uh, it would have whiskey to be, no it would have to be something um, and not buckfast because it's a bit too cliche I think we're just going for a street kind of tenants <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> okay um, so Claire uh, said she wanted to know why you didn't stay for a drink after she accosted you in the vestibule and asked you about your accent. Why didn't you stay for a drink? Yeah. Oh, well, because we were going out. I, I was actually going out for a drink with uh, Bruce Russell from the Dead Sea. Because ah, he was okay. in town. And so we'd head for a drink. But no, I'm, I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. Maybe we can hook But then up you for did that come drink. back anyway. You came back to I did. Eventually, eventually, I was called back. But um, yeah. Um, but I wanted to, because she mentioned your accent, mm-hmm. I was going to see if maybe now you could read a bit from the book. Yeah, totally. Um, so we can hear your lovely accent. Um, any, any requests or just... Well, I mean, I did enjoy the bit that you read last night. You but want... whatever you want, whatever you want. Okay, so... Have you um, got a favourite bit that you like to read? No, there's, I mean, there's several things that I, that I, I kind of like go back and forth over. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll read a little bit about... Um, this is a character, again, who turns up in the book. He's, his time is actually before the book, but he turns up in the book because other people keep name-checking him, and his name is Sinew Singer, and he's like a legendary rock and roll star in Airdrie. So I'll read you a little bit about this. This is, an, this is from the second chapter. Okay. And it's, it's an interview with Big Patty from Memorial Device by Ross Raymond, and the chapter's called This Is So Pointlessly Wrong. And this is when he talks about... Well, we'll just go straight in there. Okay. Did you ever hear about Sinew Singer? He was this guy who came from Airdrie in the 1950s. Airdrie's sole contribution to rock and roll is something that would actually expand your senses. You know how he got his name? Check it out. His friend had a scrapbook that he filled with pictures of rock stars and pop stars. Buddy Holly, the Everly Brothers, fucking Deer and the Belmonts, I don't know. They were leafing through it one night, and he turns to a page that has a picture of Elvis on it. Early Elvis. Young Elvis. Elvis where he looks like a flick knife. And just looking at him, he feels like he has stuck his finger in a light bulb socket. He says he literally felt his hair rise up in a kind of electrified quiff. And you know what he means? That haircut was aerodynamic. It came from rushing headlong into the future. He asked his friend, Who the fuck is this guy? And he says to him, it's the new singer. But he mishears it as, it's the new singer. And his mind is even more blown apart. He mishears it as this guy who's every muscle, who's every vein, every fucking sinew of his body is singing. You know? Fuck Iggy Pop. And then he realises his mistake. Though not really, because in that moment he became sinew singer. He took on the mantle and it was down to him to live up to it. That's genius right there, if you ask me. In my opinion, genius is accidental, is mistaken, is actually wrong at first. And I don't care what you say, but
But it's hard to be wrong in a housing estate in Airdrie. Even though really they're all wrong. But they want to be right at all costs. They want to have an ironing board, a cooker and a washing machine. A duvet instead of a sleeping bag. A fucking concrete house with four windows. Some shitty car. A hoover. A job like a fucking jail sentence. A big TV in the living room. To be woken at six in the morning while it's still dark. And on top of that, they want respect. For being right. How is it possible to respect anyone for being right? <laughs> Brilliant. Beautifully read as well. Thanks. Um, so, the next one, Gail... She would like to. Um, she would like a playlist from the book, but maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about the fanzine that you get when you buy the book from uh, Rough Trade, and we can play the tracks that are um, included with this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to? Do you want to tell us about the tracks? And well, one of the tracks w- which is particularly interesting, which we're is a, a track under the name Chinese Moon. Now, Chinese Moon, and the and this is Memorial Device, Chinese Moon are a group of four kids from Airdrie. Um, they don't really have any particular musical ability and they're a bit nervous about being on stage, so they come up with this idea of staging a show using mannequins in a shop window and they leave it in the shop window overnight. And what they do is they dress all the mannequins up as like schoolboy rock stars and they attach uh, Walkmans to each of the mannequins and they make these looping cassettes and they all have a, they all play a different loop and the loop concert goes on all night in this, in this storefront in the east end of Glasgow. So what happened for the Chinese Moon is my friend Richard Jung's a musician uh, from Glasgow, he fell in love with Chinese Moon when he read the book and he said, if Chinese Moon, Chinese Moon would have been my favourite band of all time when I was a kid. Right. You know, he loved it. So then he began to say, well, you know, I would like to try and... They, they recorded one one cassette, a, a, a cassette called Hitching Time, Thrumming, Phasing, which was on suffra- suffrage cassettes. This is, from, this is in the book. And Richard then decided to try and replicate... Uh, the entire setup. So he made all he made all these special sample uh, looped cassettes, and he began to make the the music that he heard when he read the section uh, in the book about Chinese Moon. So. Uh, on the CD that comes with a fanzine, there's a track called Thrumming, which is from uh, the cassette. And, uh, well, I think it's fantastic. When I heard it, I was like, my God, that is, that's the sound of, uh, that's the sound of the street at night as the, as the music is coming through this window and is on these kind of, these uh, ferocious, these ferocious lo- loops. And this is the legendary Chinese Moon, the track called Thrumming, from their suffrage tapes cassette, Hitching Time, Thrumming, Phasing.
Um, so uh, there's another track on there, Kazoo Icing Compass. This is another group that are mentioned very, very passing uh, in the book. And that's uh, Andrew Weatherall who's done this track. It's a, oh, really? Yeah, it's a track called Austerity One. Uh, from the new austerity, the cassette. Now, uh, Weatherall was a very big fan of that sort of post-industrial kind of sound and was really in it, and he became, he was really inspired by the book, and he's done a whole series of music. Um, The intention is he's going to put out on... uh, LP and it's called This Is Not Memorial Device okay. and it's a tribute of music inspired by This Is Memorial Device so this track on the, the CD by Kazoo Icing Compass called Austerity One that's a taster for uh, uh, Weatherall's forthcoming uh, Memorial Device inspired album which is amazing right. and the, the first track is a track called, by a group called Steel Teeth they have a chapter in the, in the book Robert Mulligan he's in uh, uh comes from Green Gears and he makes all this handmade so electronics and makes this very lonely uh, synth music. Uh, it's a guy called Scott Fraser, another DJ. He did this track. He's actually from South Lanarkshire. So um, he even has, in the distance, you can hear a Lanarkshire accent very, very low in it. But he got it perfectly. He used all equipment that was from the, the contemporary with the book. So it's all like since 81, 82 since that he made this whole track with. And it's completely striking. He gets it completely right. It's exactly what Steel Tooth would sound like and it sounds so authentic. So yeah, I was totally psyched about these... Uh, people because you're nervous at first because you're like you have such an idea of what the music sounds like in your head that it's very hard to let anyone realize it because you think it's never going to live up to expectations so for, for that reason i didn't allow anyone to do music as memorial make the memorial device music because that has to be beyond anything you could ever conceive of because they were the best band you know <laughs> but everything else is kind of hands-on so and, and what everyone's came up with so far has been really amazing it's been a really fun part of it okay this is steel teeth and it's a track called Maggie's Den, and it's from their original cassette album, Callisto, on suffrage tapes.
So we might be seeing more of this as memorial device in music form. Soon. I think quite possibly, yes. I think we could we could have some as more. As well uh, as this is not memorial device. Yeah, exactly. There's some more instalments. And another thing I'm doing is I'm doing a lot of stuff on the for the, for the rest of this month. I'm I'm creating the Faber Social website. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of extra stuff on there as well. Like I've done a series of. Uh, uh, photo essays because I've been photographing Airdrie like for decades now I, I still my mum still lives there so I'm out there quite a lot and quite often I just jump on the train and I walk about photographing Airdrie because it's changing so fast and I want to capture the weirdness of, of the town so I've got decades worth of photographs of it so what I do is I've been turning these photographs into like outtakes from memorial device complete with a narrative that follows some of the photographs through and it tracks some of the places that actually is included in the book so these are all going to be up as bonus material on the um on the Faber social website over the next month or so as well. So. Okay. Actually, talking of photos, I wanted to just find out a bit more about the photo of the front cover of the book. Is is are any of these lads on the front cover you? I don't want to, I don't I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'll see. I'll see is it is yeah, it is Airdrie. Okay. And it is 1981. Okay. You know, so it's totally authentic with the time period, but beyond that, we're not, not you're not saying nah, anything. I wouldn't want to be drawn. Okay. Um I've got Another question for you from Will Burns. He's a Faber poet. Uh, he would like to know who some of your literary influences were when writing the book. Yep. Um, big one was Georges Perec, the French author who was a member of the Olipo group. 
um, specifically a book of his called Life, A User's Manual. And in that book, it's an stunning book, um, in that book, the schematic he uses to, or to the, the, the dictates the structure is he plots all the various lives going on in an apartment building, all in the different rooms, and he uses a series of uh, he uses a series of moves and how it's structured. He moves through the different rooms and the different lives, and they kind of tie together a little bit. Well, I love that idea, but I wanted to use as my schematic a small town in the late seventies, early eighties, and then try and draw everything, show how all the, how all the interconnections were. So, because so the book is not just about musicians. I wanted it to go further afield, so you meet people's parents, relatives, old girlfriends. It brings everyone into this big web. This, this big web of relationship. So that was very influential on me. Um, in terms of other writers, uh, Charles Olson, the poet, is really big for me. I, I mean, he's one of my favourite... Him and Kenneth Rexroth are probably my two favourite poets. But the thing I love about Olson, especially like his series of Maximus poems, um, which I'm always dipping in and out on, they're, they're really quite incredible. Olson has such an original sense of rhythm. And rhythm is really big for me, and you can learn so much by reading Olsen again and again and again. Sometimes I will sit and read the same poem, you know, 20 or 30 times until you finally click into his incredibly personal rhythm. So one, I was influenced by his uh, his open fuel compositions and his, his, his fuel for highly idiosyncratic rhythms. But the other thing I was influenced by Olsen, particularly Maximus, is um, the sense of place. One Olsen's big thing was, like, go one place. Go one place where you have roots and then dig in as deep as you can. And it's it's microcosm. That is a microcosm. You can find everything there beneath your feet. In other words, the centre of the world is wherever you're at. So his big his big poetic project was to kind of him Gloucester, this this seaport town, and him it's through its history and uh, its mercantile history, its cultural history, its, its, its topography, all these things, and bring in this. And if he could create this great vision of place, it was almost like everything is there. If you can look hard enough in the one place, everything is there. So. Gloucester's quite a romantic place, a fishing village, so it has a little bit of that built in. And I thought, okay, if that's really true, then I'm going to dig into my place. Airdrie's going to become my centre of the world. So the big thing, Olsen's project inspired me to look at exactly where I was and to dig in and to turn that into some kind of uh, poetry. And that's why a big thing I wanted to do, I didn't want to write... I think it's quite a... I think Cozy uses the word tender. Uh, in, her, in her, her her description of it and I I was so pleased to hear that word that's it's true okay so I was really pleased with that because I wanted the book to be tender I wanted it to kind of be like a love letter a little bit mm-hmm. I certainly wanted it to be a romance a romantic book even though a lot of uh, crazy and wild things going there's, there's a lot of tender moments and lovely people and you know, even there's some there's some there's some wild sex and there's some porn, but there's some beautifully tender sex in there as well. And all and all different types of relationships are covered in there as well. So that was really important to me to write a tender uh a tender uh, uh love poem about uh what people would think of as a shitty little town. And I know and find the magic behind that. So Olsen, Charles Olsen is certainly a big inspiration in terms of that as well. Okay. The, the, he did have another question as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the first time he's put on a Burns night this year and um, he had a few people reading. He had um, a couple of Welshmen, a Canadian, uh, a girl from Brighton. He didn't have any Scots. Didn't have any Scottish people? Didn't have any Scottish people. Oh my God. And his name's Burns as well. <laughs> but none of them read Burns poetry. But he wants to know if you'll uh, do the next Burns night for him next year. I would. And actually, just to, to just flash my credentials a little bit, when I was... Uh, 
And now what age was I? Like seven years old, I won a, a Burns a prize, oh. the Burns Prize for reciting poetry. Really? Uh, you got a certificate, I still have it framed. But it's funny you said nobody read Burns because it wasn't a Burns, it was a wee childish poem that I recited at the time and I got the prize for. And it was my first time I ever read anything out live on stage. So was it your own poem? No, well, I don't know where it came from. I can recite it for you. It's, it's, a, it's all in Scottish dialect. I can still remember it, I think. I don't even I think it's just some piece of doggerel or something. I don't know the history <laughs> of it. But, or if I came up with it, I don't think so. It was like, it was called My Wee, my wee Red Motor. Okay. So it goes... In my wee red motor, I can gang for miles, up and down the gearden, through the lobby wheels. Many's a better motor, gangs for tune to tune, but nane can gang where I can gang in my wee red. Oh, that doesn't off. My wee red car. No, but it's many's a better motor, drives to towns afar, but nane can gang where I can gang in my wee red car. Beautiful. Po- yeah, but it's love poetry right there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Um, what else? What else can we talk about? I've kind of run out. I've run out of questions from everybody from last okay, night. Okay, well, um, I, I could, one thing I would like to say is um, I think that the, the genre of the rock and roll novel or the novel about um, being in a band is a wretched, wretched genre. Wretched. There's very, very few books. Um, and I did think twice about doing it myself and even contributing another book to that whole horrible genre. But I wanted to do it right and make it a little bit authentic because it's always really cheesy and cliched yeah. and ghastly. And so I wanted to sort of correct that. And I also wanted to say there was a place for it. Does, even though we're dealing with rock and roll, we can still uh, engage with uh, literature as well. It doesn't need to be this horrible little subgenre. So I wanted a sort of book that blurred the lines between lots of different books, between like an oral history. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, for instance, you know, Please Kill Me, The Legs McNeil, Oral History of Punk. Love that. So that was another book. Which is kind of a model, you okay. know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and also I really like from the Velvets to the Voidoids by Clinton Halen. I always like the, the oral history kind of style, well, uptight Velvet Underground, you know, these classic oral history books. So I wanted to take that, but I always wanted to do something which maybe rescue the rock and roll no- novel from the absolute uh, pit of horror it normally uh, exists in. <laughs> okay well we won't i won't comment on that too much because we've got quite a lot of those kind of books in. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm probably not talking about anything it's a long time since i've read something like that but yeah there was definitely i've definitely read a few turkeys yeah not naming any names no 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 okay well thank you very much david um you can buy this as memorial device from rough trade it comes with a free fanzine and um a three track cd and we've now got signed copies because he's come in and signed them all for us great and, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks All right. a lot. Thanks, Nina. It was a real pleasure. Rough Trades Radio. Spend more time engaging with exciting music and less time having to find it. Rough Trade Club Membership. Available now via roughtrade.com forward slash membership. Trade Radio.